even though gender has been a focus for a very long time, you know, the question comes, you know, what what type of women are we looking for? Because the experience of a migrant woman, the experience of an Indigenous woman, the experience of a Caucasian woman are all very different. Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. Today I'm speaking with Lorna Deng, an HR professional who recently launched a new startup that aims to break down employment barriers for people from minority backgrounds. Lorna is of South Sudanese heritage, but has lived in Australia since she was a child, arriving in Adelaide with her family at the age of 10, before later moving to Melbourne for university. Lorna is a passionate advocate for diversity and inclusion, having faced and overcome barriers to employment herself. For the past two years, she and her co-founder, Betty Otho, have been working nights and weekends to build DivTal, an online platform connecting companies that want to be more inclusive with a diverse range of job seekers. I was fascinated to hear about Lorna's startup journey, from the early challenges she faced to launching in the middle of COVID, to how she now runs DivTal as a side hustle outside of her day job. Here's my chat with Lorna Deng. So Lorna, I'm very keen to talk about the launch of your new venture, but can you start by telling us a bit about your background and what life as a kid looked like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So my my heritage is South Sudanese and um, the first sort of 10 years of my life, I was a refugee. So because of the war that um, happened in the 80s, I grew, I was born in Kenya. Uh, my parents had fled the war and moved myself and my older brother and older sister to Kenya to ex- escape the war. And, and after a couple of years in Kenya, my dad got a job opportunity in Botswana. So moved the whole family down to Botswana, which where I spent the majority of my childhood. And wow. and at that time we we didn't have uh, I guess so, you know security we didn't have residency in Botswana and, and that time we had to live in Botswana for a long time to be able to get any sort of permanent residency so we were exploring um, other countries to move to as you know our visas were expiring and so we mm. spent about a year in Wales with my mum and my younger brother and you wow. know try to get residency there and wasn't uh, able to. And also spent some time in Egypt, again, trying to get some residency, but, you know, wasn't able to. And in 2000, you know, we finally got an opportunity to come to Australia. So ended up landing in Adelaide. It's where I grew up. Yeah, so I was about 10 years old when my whole family had moved here. Didn't really know too much about Australia outside of the show Skippy. That was like (laughs) literally my my whole view of what Australia was about. So you landed in Adelaide and understand that your dad struggled to find work after moving to Australia, even though uh, he has a PhD in chemistry. I mean, what, what kind of impact did that have on him and your family? Yeah, so as you can imagine, you know, being a migrant coming to Australia, you know, you, you come here with so much um, you know, hope and, you know, dreams around what the future will look like. And so him having studied in, you know, the UK and in, in, in Africa as well, and having worked for a number of years in Botswana at the University of Haberoni, you know, he had the experience and then coming here 
job searching in Adelaide, all he could ever really find was casual work or temporary work and, you know, not being able to sustain or or find a meaningful work within his field. After Mm. a few months in Adelaide, he decided to go back to Botswana and leave the family. And, you know, that was, that was the only option he had to be able to support the, the whole family. And so that, you know, that meant that he, you know, he was living in a completely different country. And as you can imagine, after having lived as a family, you know, our whole lives together and um, to now be separated, and my mom, you know, being here with four kids, having to raise them, you know, having to navigate the country and and find find work herself and raise four children, it definitely put a strain on, on the family. Mm. And I mean, what about for yourself? Did you have any big career dreams when you were a kid? I did. So, well, I'll, I'll rephrase that. So, my as, as many African parents, <laughs> the, the I guess the goal they they want you to end up being a doctor or a lawyer. So, my my whole path as a child was to become either a doctor or a lawyer. Um, in primary school, um, I you know I thought doctor for a very long time, and then I realized just what actually entails to become a doctor. And you know, I'm not a huge fan of hospitals. They give me the, the I'm just yeah, not a fan of the whole hospital vibe and so I decided not to pursue that so my so in high school I was really focused around getting starting a career in in law and so actually in Adelaide I I got offered to start a law degree in at the University of Adelaide and and very last minute um, I decided to not accept that and and accept psychology at Monash yeah so very very last minute decision or what what prompted that switch and where did you see your career heading at that point I think at that point I I loved the idea of psychology it's all about people and you know understanding you know what drives people what motivates people and the, the idea of going to a brand new city you know like Melbourne going to a really highly regarded university such as Monash you know that that was really appealing to me and I realized quite late that you know as I whilst studying law would have been would have been great you know would have been made my parents really proud I'm sure but but I I knew deep down that it just wasn't for me like I, I just was never really passionate about about law which is mm. why very last minute I decided to take take the psychology path right yeah I mean that is tough I, I understand my dad's um Chinese Malaysian and he definitely had aspirations for his kids to <laughs> be the lawyer and the doctor and and that sort of thing but uh, <laughs> it's not always easy to um not push back but I guess you know knowing that that's their dream it's not always easy to make a different decision um and then when you finished uni I mean what were some of the experiences that you had when it came to looking for work yeah, so once I graduated from uni, I did, did my undergrad in psychological sciences and I immediately, you know, was ready to go into the go into employment or started looking, started just going online as, as everyone does, going through seek, trying to find, you know, internships and placements. Um but found really, really challenging. I I I wouldn't even get through the first stage before just getting rejected. And you know, I, I started um you know seeking out help from others trying to network and meet people within my you know within my network um in the university but just wasn't getting any breakthrough you know at that Mm. point I was recognizing a lot of my peers were starting to land you know their placements and their internships 
And so I'm um, six months down the track. Um, I started just working casual just to be able to support myself and continued looking. You know, mm. at, at that point, I knew that uh, I guess I didn't quite have the the strongest network. Whilst I knew people that I could speak to, um, I just wasn't getting feedback throughout the recruitment process. I just I just get rejected and not really know why or what I could change. And at that point, I you know wasn't proactive enough to even go out and seek feedback. Um, I just kind of took the rejection as that that's it. And so it ended up being a year and a half until I, I found work, and that was through uh, in a bank, and that was mm. as part of an inclusion program which was specifically tailored to support African-Australian professionals and providing them an opportunity for a a six-month internship to just get some work experience and, and set them up. Yeah, so that that was my my entryway, and and you know at that time it was it was the best thing that could have happened, you know, because I after a whole year and a half of trying to find work, meaningful work aligned to my kind of skills and and qualifications, um, you know that that was an, an incredible opportunity. Mm. I mean, how did it feel, you know, for those eighteen months to be getting those? those knockbacks and I mean particularly knowing that you know your dad had been through something similar all those years earlier and you'd been studying for so long to become a psychologist the first few months those rejections you kind of just accept them and then over time you really start I started to lose you know self-esteem because I knew deep down I knew that I was capable of you know going into a role and and performing but when you start getting those rejections you know ongoing and it just really started, um, it just made me really question, you know, myself and my capabilities to say, okay, well, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Why doesn't anyone, you know, want to hire me? And and knowing that that's the experience, you know, my dad faced, um, it's a very common thing that a lot of other migrants, you know, within my community also faced. So I've always known it's never easy to find work. It's mm. it's particularly work that that's within your field. And you know, growing up, a lot of my you know family members, my mom, her first job when we came here was a cleaner. You know, she was cleaning in churches, and you know, a lot of my aunties and uncles, you know, they were working in factories, and and so when you know you hear of someone working, you know, in a bank or someone working in a in a legal firm, that that's a huge deal. So I, I never for once ever thought that would it would be easy. But um, I was always committed, and I was I was never going to give up in terms of finding finding a role. And d- did you see it as you know that unconscious bias at the time, or did you just see it as a tough job market at that time? I think it, I guess growing up, the the perception of, of my, a lot of my family and, and and cousins and uncles and aunties was that. You know, us us Africans, we have to you know work twice as hard to be able to get the same opportunities as as everyone else. And that narrative was very common um, for for me. And I, I knew that you know we'd have to work a lot harder. So things like you know unconscious bias in the recruitment system or inequity, I didn't have that language. So I didn't quite understand that at that point in time. But now you know looking back, um, absolutely, they're, they're, we still do have you know, unconscious bias in the recruitment system. It's it's not an even level playing field even today. And so now I've got the language to to be able to describe my experience back then and, I, you know, recognising that, you know, 20 years ago that's experience my dad faced, 
I experienced that, you know, seven years ago and, and today there's still many people experiencing the same thing. So that's absolutely, you know, we, we have to think about why is it the case that it is much more complex and, and challenging for people from underrepresented minority backgrounds to find work today. Well, as you said, you did end up landing a job in the finance sector and moving into HR. And I gather that you've really come to love what you do. So what do you enjoy about working in HR? Uh, yeah, it's, it's something I never specifically thought I'd get into in terms of HR, but I think working, studying psychology, which gave me a really good foundation to understand people and drivers and motivation, it just felt, HR felt like the natural um, next step in, in my career and you know not having psychology in in the bank that I worked in and so and so getting into HR was you know was was great you know I did a, I did a number of different roles specialist HR so really supporting my bank's talent strategy you know leadership and more general HR consulting mm-hmm. and so and, and I think what I what I love the most about it you know if, if you think about any organization that the key differentiator and if you think of the successful organizations are around the people you know who are the who are the leaders leading that organization um what is that team culture you know how engaged are people and so the more i've worked in hr i've started to realize the the importance of having good capable um strong strong people within a team so mm. I definitely, there's definitely challenges in my role working in HR. There's definitely the good days and the days where it's just, it's a, it's a real challenge, but, but it's, it's very rewarding specifically when you, you know, you get to coach someone and, you know, support them to, you know, break through any barriers that they're, they're personally facing in their role. I think that's, mm. that's one of the more, more rewarding elements of HR. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask what a typical workday looks like for you now. I know that you recently moved from the finance world to the early childhood sector, so still in an HR role. But yeah, what, what does a workday look like for you now? Well, at the moment in the middle of COVID, I'm working from home <laughs> as, as a lot of other people. And I guess with Melbourne stage four lockdown um, at the moment, it's mm. yeah, no, no movement at this point. So it's, you know, there's a lot of meetings and my role is quite broad. It's quite, um, you know, it, I could start with an interview, interviewing a candidate. It could be performance management. It could be talking about employee engagement. It could be working with a um, a newly promoted send childcare center manager and supporting them to build capability. So very, very, very different. I think now, as you know, with the recent changes in, in childcare based on the government announcements of stage four restrictions, a lot of it is just really just being there for for center center managers and their team, just really making sure that everyone from a you know health health and well being point of view are okay. Alongside your day job, you've been working away on a pretty significant side hustle, which has just recently launched. So can you tell us a little bit about DivTal and why you started it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's been about two weeks since launching DivTal and the, the reason I started it was, you know, really based on my experience, you know, those almost seven years ago trying to find work. And my co-founder had a very similar experience. She's also South Sudanese. She's Australian. And we, we both worked in the same team um, within within banking. 
and she's right. recently moved to the UK. So we are running DivTel, um, you know, across the world. So, so what DivTel is, it's an online job platform that helps connect organizations who are committed to creating a diverse and inclusive workforce to job candidates from underrepresented minority backgrounds. And, you know, I guess working in HR and really understanding the, the viewpoint of organizations who, you know, who say they care about diversity and, and, and want to do more and, you know, have more efforts around that. But say, you know, as part of this, we spoke to a lot of organizations, but they say they struggle to find the right candidates. And and from a you know job candidate point of view, a lot of them from underrepresented minority background, you know, face such complex barriers to entering the workforce. And so we thought, you know, knowing that you know organizations want candidates but struggle to find them, and job candidates want meaningful work aligned to their skills and experience but just struggle to enter into organizations why don't we create a platform to connect the two so that's mm-hmm. really the thinking behind DivTel. and so it was about you know two years ago when betty and i started to have conversations around you know what more can we do recognizing that we both worked in hr and and you know, had this you know new knowledge around you know the recruitment process and you know and diversity and inclusion and and also had our own lived experience of, of struggling to find work. We knew at that point we wanted to do something. And how do you select the candidates and organisations that you work with? In terms of organisations, we we really want to find organizations who are already, who number one, really care about diversity and inclusion. And I mean, really, really care about it. And it's not just a, a tagline on their website or, you know, a strategy on a piece of paper, but the reality is different. So we we try to understand, you know, what have they done so far? You know, what is, what is their current strategy? What are their goals for the future? And really vet them around, you know, around their, their culture, and from the candidate point of view, you know, we we try to we say we are open to you know people from all races, um, and how we identify candidates for DivTel, it's it's people that come from underrepresented minority backgrounds, and that could be you know someone from a refugee background, a migrant background. It could be someone that's you know lived in in foster in foster homes as 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 a child, and which has led them to you know, have more adversity in their life. And so we really try to take a contextual recruitment approach because we recognize that people that have had or faced adversity and, and disadvantage in life, you know, have so much to offer to to, mm. in, 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 to employers, but their, their life experience and, and those soft skills aren't necessarily being portrayed in resumes. And so we ask a lot of questions about people's life and, you know, what they've gone through. And that's how really how we vet candidates to, to come onto the platform. And then we, we ask candidates to really showcase themselves, you know, showcase their whole selves, not just their professional experience, you know, through, through a video resume. It's, it's allowing them to talk directly to employers around who they are as a person, what they can bring to an organization and, and never have to feel like they need to hide that. You know, we, we know mm. that today in, you know, a lot of organizations take the blind recruitment approach where it's saying, you know, we don't, we don't want to know your name. We don't want to know your ethnicity. We don't want to know your background, your, your gender or any of that. 
and that's how they they find candidates you know based on merit um but what we're saying is that you know you, you know you can't you, yes you can change your last name if you get married but that, that's your name you know your gender that that's who you are and we want candidates to feel like they can just bring them their whole selves to the recruitment process and not have to hide any elements of their identity and that's really yeah. how how we have approached DivTel. Yeah, I noticed that you used uh, video resumes as a tool for candidates. I saw that on your Instagram account. So it's really interesting to hear the thinking behind that. Um, You talked a little bit about the reasons why, but how did you land on that as being an important tool? Yeah, and it's something that we we had a lot of conversations about. So the candidates we, we spoke to had said, um, you know, I, I go, I put in my application for role, um, but as soon as I pick up the phone to have that screening, the phone screen with a recruiter and they hear my accent, it's like, you know, sometimes something changes or they feel like they, they put in their application and once they go to an interview and it turns out they're, you know, a, a non-Caucasian, you know, they they feel things shift and so mm-hmm. and so from based on that what what we hear what we heard from these candidates is you know I I I just want to be able to bring my whole self um as part of this recruitment process I, I don't want to feel that I'm being treated differently and and yes mm-hmm. these you know these blind recruitment processes are, are in place but you know as soon as someone finds out that I'm black or someone finds out that I've got an accent they they feel completely treated differently which is what led us to say, you know, we, we don't feel like in 2020 people should be hiding their their identities, which is which mm-hmm. is why we landed on the video resume. Right. And I guess do you feel like, you know, as you mentioned, that a lot of organisations do have diversity and inclusion strategies now, but there is still that issue of conscious and unconscious bias, I'm sure, that mm-hmm. still exists in that recruitment process in particular. I mean, what do you think is going to help change this and do you think it, it's getting better? No, I think it's it's definitely become a much more prominent conversation. You know, mm. for for many years it's been, you know, the conversation has been around gender. So it's been the focus for a lot of organisations. How can we get, you know, gender balance, specifically, you know, in leadership positions? And now we are starting to hear more about, you know, LGBTI or cultural diversity or accessibility but I think that we still recognize that you know that unconscious bias is is taking place in the in the recruitment process and it's not an even level playing field and and even though gender has been a focus for a very very long time you know it's you know the question comes you know what what type of women are we looking for you know because the Mm. experience of a migrant woman the experience of an indigenous woman the experience of a caucasian woman are all very different and they have different challenges have got different barriers to employment and to promotions and so and so the conversation you know needs to really shift from from one type of diversity to looking at the whole realm of diversity and inclusion and so until mm-hmm. until organizations can start to have that conversation and really start to understand the experiences of, of the different people, I think that will that's when we can start to really see see changes. And it's just organizations just really, you know, calling things out and and really being quite um, you know, forward in, in their approach because it's 
it's about you know and and a lot a lot of organizations go down the you know programs approach or may look at you know internal programs or talent programs to promote women but it's really looking but I, well, I say it's about how can we how can organizations look at their whole recruitment process and ensure it's inclusive so it's thinking about who is the most disadvantaged person that will come through my recruitment process and ensuring that their recruitment process is inclusive to the that most disadvantaged person so i think there's there's a long way to go there is absolutely a lot of conversation um, but in terms of people taking you know, meaningful action to mm. address some of these concerns i think that that's the next step And I wanted to ask a bit more about your startup journey. So as you mentioned, you do have a co-founder, Betty Otho, who from what I've seen is very dynamic and equally passionate as you about (laughs) diversity and inclusion. Um, You mentioned that yourself and Betty, I think, became friends through working at the same bank. Is that right? But how, how did you come across each other? Yes, yes, we did. So the very first time I met Betty was when I had applied for the internship program at the bank and and Betty was actually on stage on a panel speaking about the program and sharing her experience of, of going through the internship program. And, and I was so inspired, you know, not you don't often see other South Sudanese. At that point, I didn't see a lot of other South Sudanese women. And so she was just really articulate, really passionate passionate person so you know really was you know really keen to get to to know her and talk to her and so I remember just introducing myself after that session and saying you know hi just asking a little bit more about her experience and and how how she found the program and so I ended up uh, being successful in that internship and going into the HR function where she worked and then we just naturally being the only two African women at that point we just naturally gravitated to each other and you know we're complete opposites she's a (laughs) super loud extrovert big personality and I'm a lot more of an introvert yeah but I think you know but in terms of our you know our vision our goals our passionate very very similar and having very similar upbringings and, and challenges and 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 priorities we just we we gravitated to each other and we always spoke about um, the fact that we'd like to do something more for for our community um, given kind of where we were at and so that's how we started having conversations about DIFTAL very very early on yeah and how do you manage uh, your partnership and sort of divvy up the workload for example it's been it's actually I don't know how to work but it's been quite organic in the sense that you know we both have very different strengths and I think we really recognize each other's strengths and abilities and you know with her working in the UK at the moment and me in Melbourne you know we've had to be very kind of organized from that perspective and and be clear on kind of who's doing what but it's it's just worked quite well I know we've, we've only got like you know a two-hour window of the day where it kind of works for the both of us in terms of being able to meet but you know she her naturally being you know the more extroverted um people person she does a lot of the you know the client management where I have you know have a background I've created a few websites in the past and so my focus has really been around the platform and and the website as an example but you know but I think we work quite well together in the sense that you know 
you know, she's got my back, you know, I've got her back. So it's been really good in that sense, working with someone that, you know, you really have known for a long time, equally passionate and, and yeah, and able to support each other. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and when that idea for DivTel started to bubble away, I mean, how did you even know where to begin with getting it off the ground? Like what were some of the first steps that you took? I think the, the very first active step we took was going through a hackathon. And this would have been okay. almost like two and a half years ago where it was a hackathon at, over the course of three days where, you know, a, a bunch of people would come come together and, and try create solutions around issues within the African-Australian community. So centred around, you know, education, employment, culture, you know, health. So the, there was a number of different um, elements or focuses on that day and we both sat in the employment one. And I guess throughout that day, you know, we – we talked about, you know, some potential solutions on how to address the employment issue around African-Australian employment. And that was really the first time where, you know, we, over the course of three days, you know, created had a business idea. Whilst that idea, that point was very, very different to what DivTal was, I think that really gave us the framework um, and the process to be able to come up with a business idea. And so we, we took that away. That, that idea and um, as part of the hackathon we actually came third and the winning prize was the Hatchquarter Accelerator course and that was a six right. week six weeks course yeah but generally the the accelerator is open to um, migrant startups so founders who are looking to get their ideas into from ideation form to an actual business or an MVP. And that's right. what the Hatchquarter team support support you with. And I think going through that business accelerator course was the point where we we realized, okay, okay, we can actually create something out of this. You know, for the first mm. time, you know, it didn't have to just be something that we spoke about or an idea. We could actually go out and build a startup and a business out of this idea. And you know, we had the mentors, we had the tools, we had the resources to support us to really take it to the um to to essentially for formate that idea mm. and I assume you would have had to attract some kind of funding to develop the online platform how did you go about the finance side of things yeah so at the moment we are completely self-funded and so Betty and I you know having you know working nine to five we we were able to fund the the building of the platform so using an external provider but the but the view is you know going forward as we start to build and and grow the platform you know it's something would would absolutely look look at is is getting external funding So you've been on your startup journey for a couple of years now and it must be very exciting to see it all come to fruition. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned in terms of starting or running your own business? Yes, I think um, absolutely. It's the the first day when, you know, I, I got to see the actual platform and, you know, play around with it. It was such a like, wow, we've, we've been talking about this for for how long now and to be able to see and feel something tangible is such a such a huge moment um and I think you know one of the biggest lessons um that I've learned throughout this process is is that you need to have you know a really strong strong purpose and really know why you're doing this because 
it's it's not an easy journey at all and particularly working full time and having to do this you know evenings and mornings and weekends so i think having that really strong passion and just remembering why why we even started this in the first place and remembering that the challenges that or the feeling that i felt struggling to find work and and knowing that there's so many people out there really feeling that today particularly mm. with covid and throwing that in, in that and just making it even more challenging. That's absolutely been been a driver. So the biggest lesson is, you know, if you do something like this, it's about having a really strong, clear sense of purpose around why you're doing it. Mm. Well, and I imagine launching during COVID hasn't been that easy either. And, you know, things in Melbourne are particularly tough right now, as you mentioned before. I mean, how, how are you coping with all of that and, and how has that impacted the launch? Yes, I mean it's just an, an really unfortunate timing because we we had <laughs> planned to uh, launch in April, and you right. know Betty was going to come down from the UK and we're going to have this launch event. But that was when you know COVID really started to come to the forefront and pe- people started to really understand the impact that was having, and that's when everyone was you know shutting doors and you know a, a venue had emailed us that day to say you know we can't accommodate you. And so that was that timing wasn't the greatest, and, and I think now that we we know that you know, how, I don't know how many million people have you know lost their jobs uh, around the mm-hmm. country. You know, people people understand the 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 challenge of the of the current context, and and so timing wise, we thought yes, we could kind of push this out till next year, but recognising that there's so many people out there that are still in desperate need, you know, that were in desperate need before COVID and now that there's more people that are unemployed are in much more need, we felt that we should just at least launch anyway in the middle Mm. of COVID, recognising that employers aren't necessarily hiring right now, but there may be employers that know that they are candidates still in desperate need and might be willing to give their time and, you know, support with, you know, mentoring or coaching. And so that's why we we decided to launch. So the focus has been very different where it's really around how can we um, put our arms around our candidates and really support them throughout this challenging time. And, and whilst we may not be able to get them all jobs or support them to find jobs right now, it's about thinking what else can we do? How can we get them prepared? How can we give them the tools and resources so when the job market does come up and open up in the next few months, hopefully, you know, they are mm. prepared and ready to be able to 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 find work then. Mm. And I guess, you know, as you said, it is only very early days for the platform being live, but are there any, you know, big wins or exciting moments that you can share? I think, it, yeah, it absolutely still is very early days. And I think, um, but in, in terms of, you know, big wins, I think when you're, you know, having conversations with, you know, whether it's candidates or, or employers, and I think the employers who have said, you know, to us, you know, we can't hire right now, but, you know, we'd love to give our time to to be able to support candidates. And and I think that, that in itself just shows that these employers, you know, really do want to, you know, support this, this the diversity and inclusion conversation. So it's really been only a couple of weeks. So I'd, I'd love to share bigger wins in, in the hopefully near future. But, but I think just having that there where people are just still reaching out right now, I think that that's a huge win in, in itself. 
And, I mean, where do you hope this all goes? I know this is, as you said, a side hustle for both yourself and Betty at the moment. What's what's the dream for DivTel going forward? Yes, the, the, the biggest dream for us would be, you know, being a social enterprise, you know, what we want to achieve is is impact. You know, I think it's it's not just about getting or supporting job candidates to find meaningful work within their fields, but it's also about, you know, creating a movement to to really support employers to raise, raise awareness about, number one, the challenges that these candidates are facing as part of their recruitment process and and bring that to their attention. And I think our, our biggest vision, if we can go out and, you know, have employers come on board that are saying, you know, we we want to be inclusive to to everyone. We want to ensure that, you know, the future of work is inclusive. I think that would be that would be a huge win. So we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast and you've certainly made a big leap in starting your own business and and using your own experiences to make a positive change. So what would you say has been your bravest moment and how did you find the courage to go for it? I would say that my bravest moment has been, you know, launching DivTel through this COVID, COVID times, you know, knowing that there are employers that aren't necessarily hiring and however, there are so many candidates in such great need. It's it's been really important to to recognize the the unprecedented times we're operating in, and I think the courage to do that was really centered around just knowing the the pain that you know these candidates are potentially facing right now. You know, mm. um, you know a lot of them would be feeling a, a sense of you know ho- hopelessness given everything happening right now and it was challenging before and it's still challenging now and I guess knowing that and knowing that um, you know Betty and I have the ability to do something even if it's small you know we, we don't know if it's going to work but even just going out and doing something that, yeah. that that's been enough to know that um, that's been enough fuel for us to just have at least have launched and, and do something about it yeah and you've inspired many people with your new venture, but who are some of the women that you look to and who inspire you? Yeah, there's there's a lot of people that are, you know, I, I think of, you know, the Michelle Obamas, the the Oprahs, mm-hmm. the Malalas, the Jacinta Ardens. But I think the women who really inspire me are the, the women who have just defied the odds. So the people that, you know, go out and aren't afraid to challenge the status quo and, you know, have really big visions and, and are just relentless in going out to achieve them. And, you know, I think of my home country, South Sudan, you know, there's so many women out there that aren't celebrities or aren't well known, but they're fighting things like, you know, child marriage, you know, they're fighting for things that we take for granted, you know, such as women's education you know, there's people back home that are fighting for gay rights, which if you if you understand that the tradition and the culture that we have that's existed for a long time, like that is a huge, huge deal. And these people are literally risking their lives to advocate for something that they really care about and are willing to put their lives um, to be able to continue to advocate for that. 
So I think, you know, knowing that there's people out there that are that are doing those sorts of things, that inspires me to keep doing, you know, what I'm doing today. And if there's someone listening out there who might be wanting to make a brave leap in their career, maybe they've got a big idea for their own side hustle, do you have any final tips for them? Mm. The, the big one I'd say is startups is not easy. <laughs> there's a lot of... <laughs> long nights and there's frustrations, there's challenges, there's days where you'll ask yourself, why am I even doing this? You'll start to question mm-hmm. yourself. But I think that the biggest thing is just really, you know, finding a problem that you really care about. And and if, if there's something out there in the world where you see and you know that, you know, the world will be better off if this, this problem was solved and you really truly care about that, um, I'd say find that first. And then it's about finding the people that have the same view as you and, and want to solve that certain problem and, and can do it with you. And in terms of really kind of finding that, um, the courage to be able to do that, I think that will help you because if, if you know that there's something that you are deeply passionate about, it would just give you that drive to, to be able to take that leap. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lorna. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much, Jackie. Lovely to chat to you as well. That was Lorna Deng, HR professional and co-founder of DivTal, which you can find at divtal.com. And we'll include the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave us a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe. Thanks for listening.